we live in a privileged life. And even if it might seem small to you, it's not small to somebody else. If you have anything in your home that is in good condition that you don't have use for anymore, get it to a shelter. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. You're going to absolutely love this episode because I'm sitting down with my friend, Elizabeth Ryder. Now, a lot of you probably already know who she is. She's this incredible author and TV show host and nutritionist and blogger and marketing genius that has rolled it all up into one and leveraged all of those areas, all those talents into teaching women how to grow their businesses, not just faster, but in a healthier way without deprivation. And that is such an important topic. And we're going to dive deep into that today. Now, I met this superstar in a mastermind that I'm in. You know, I always practice what I preach. And so, of course, I join very high level masterminds in addition to running masterminds. And this type of relationship where I get to know somebody of this high level caliber and learn from them by exchanging ideas and have them on the show and like really do a great job of adding value to each other and getting each other's backs. That's the value that comes from a mastermind that you cannot get without being in one. And so listen, if you are a brand new entrepreneur all the way up to someone who is making 499 grand a year, that entire range, we consider you a newer, more entry-level entrepreneur. And we want to teach you how to double your business from where you're at right now in the next five months. Here's the catch. We've been filling our five-month Fast Foundations Mastermind for a few weeks now. And there's only a few spots left. Matter of fact, by the time you listen to this, it very well might be sold out. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to fastfoundations.com. And if there are any seats left, I want you to grab yours. Because my wife, Lori, and I, our team, our celebrity entrepreneur friends... We're going to grab your hands for five months in person and online. We're going to teach you everything that you wish people would lift the curtain on. We're going to have the most amazing collaboration with the other entrepreneurs in that room. And we are going to change your life by changing your business. Go check it out. See if there's any spots left. Fastfoundations.com. If you see a spot, grab it now because I cannot wait to lock arms with you and coach you. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of things with Elizabeth marketing and like how to stay healthy when growing your business and being in the grind. Her backstory is really cool. And we're also going to uh, talk about her new book that's out, The Health Habit. This book is really important because it's for people like myself that fall into these traps where I know what to do, but I don't make the right decision anyways. I'm too busy being tired or I'm too busy working hard or I'm too busy seeking comfort. And she takes a lot of guilt out of that, but then adds empowering methods for us to make better decisions enough of the time where we can grow our businesses in a much healthier way. So get ready, listen up, take some notes because this episode is incredible. All right, Elizabeth, thank you for being on the show. How the heck are you? I'm 
so good. Thanks for having me. Seriously, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this because what the listeners don't know is you and I are in the same mastermind, Lewis Howes Mastermind. And every single time you speak in there, every time you bring up an idea, every time you talk, I learn something new. I think that you are one of the most brilliant marketers of our time, even though you don't bill yourself as a marketer. Obviously, we're going to talk about what you really do. But just to let you know, that's kind of how I view your existence in that mastermind and the way that you show up. And so I can't wait to have you show up that way for all the listeners. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. I'm excited to be here and show up and answer anything you have for me. Love it. So we're going to start with rapid fire questions. It's a fun way to let the listeners get to know you in a hurry. And if something really good comes up, we'll circle back around and do a deep dive. How's that sound? Perfect. Awesome. All right. Start easy. Where'd you grow up? Billings, Montana. And where do you live now? Seattle, Washington. Favorite quote? <gasps> you create your life. Ooh, yes, you do. What is one of your superpowers? Compassion. Other than your new incredible book, what's one of your favorite books? <gasps> oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, 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 you know what? I just finished Inner Engineering by Sadhguru. It's fabulous. Everyone should read it. Ah, interesting. I actually have not heard of it. I'll check it out. What is one thing you're challenged by right now? Oh, quieting the noise of what every marketer on the planet says I should do to launch my book. Oh my God, we are so going to talk about that. <laughs> what is one of your favorite accomplishments so far? Building a life where I'm not tied to having to work for anyone. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something that everybody, once they get there, it's they should be damn proud of that. Two more. Something generous you've done recently? I sent my entire family these really beautiful, soft, luxurious blankets just because I thought they deserved them. Oh, I love that. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Oh my gosh. I am beyond grateful that I get to share what I love to do and have a book and an online business that feeds my soul, but lets me feed other people's souls every day. That's what I'm grateful Such for. Such a privilege, right? Like Such sometimes I wake up and obviously I have a lot of really crappy days. We all do. But for the most part, I'm like, I can't believe I get to do this for work in my sweats. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to go back to that first question. I want to get into some, some more meaningful stuff now and go back to that very first question where you said that you were born in Billings, Montana. Being Montana born and raised, and I know a little bit about your background, but you grew up in like a really small town with like a true small town upbringing, right? Yeah. I mean, Billings is the largest city, quote city, in a four-state radius. When I was growing up, there were about 80,000 people there, which was the big city to me. Um, and now I think Billings is 110,000. So that's, you know, it wasn't like we lacked streetlights kind of small town. <laughs> but yeah, being 80,000 in the, the biggest city in a four-state radius is... Um, you know, pretty different, I think, than a lot of the people that I know now. Describe your upbringing. Oh my gosh. I think when everybody's young, we all feel like our family's the craziest and the weirdest. And like, I, I think I used to feel that. But now in hindsight, looking back on it, I really think I, I'm so blessed. I had a really kind of leave it to beaver-ish um, growing up. I have two older sisters. My parents had three girls in four years. We're very close in age. We didn't have a lot of money. But we also weren't, you know, dramatically poor. But there wasn't a lot of extra. But in Montana, I didn't know that. So we like the gap came to Billings when I was a like a, a junior in high school or something like that. So I didn't really know what I didn't have, if that makes sense. I mean, a little bit 
there's that. But I think growing up in a small town, you just don't really realize what's out there. You know, I grew up with two parents that are married. My two sisters are highly functioning uh, kids and now adults. So I'm when you asked me what I was grateful for, the second thing I thought of was my family. You know, they've been really supportive. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of extra luxury things by any stretch of the imagination. I've had a job since I was 12, but also really blessed to grow up in, in a, you know, a secluded, smaller place. Talk to me about having a job since you're 12. Like, what kind of things did you learn having a job that early that transfer into your life now? Oh, yeah, for sure. I just knew that if I wanted something like an extra pair of shoes or, um, you know, a new outfit or whatever it was, you know, that a a kid wants, that I could earn money for. And it wasn't, it actually didn't seem like a struggle or stress to me. Like, it started um, being a dance assistant at the dance school, you know, being a dance teacher which would be basically warming up the the younger kids. And then I would get paid for that. And then I would have some money and that, that, that meant I could go to the mall with my friends or there was like an ice cream shop down the street or I could you know save my money and buy whatever I wanted. And then I got really heavy into babysitting. And I was like the babysitter of the day. <laughs> I'm really good at it. It's actually probably why I don't have kids right now. I love children, but like I was a mega babysitter. I babysat young kids from when I was like 12, 13, all the way through college. So I'm like, even when I was, Chris, when I was like 16 or 17, I would stay overnight for the weekend with some kids that were like two and four. This doesn't really happen anymore. But, and they, the parents knew that, you know, I could call my mom and that, you know, they just trusted me that much. Young kids, they would like leave for the weekend. (laughs) I love that you're claiming fame as like, as the ultimate babysitter. Yo, yeah. And there, you know, obviously there are 16 year old moms out there and 16 year olds are highly functional. But now when I look back on that, like I have sisters who have kids, I don't think they would leave their kids for the weekend with a 16 year old right now. Times are different back then, especially like growing up in Montana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just knew that if I, and again, it wasn't like, oh, I have to work to earn money. It was like, oh, I want things, which means I go and I earn my money and then I can buy the things that I want. And it was really just that was it. So it's interesting because you said, you grew up not having a lot of extra money and not having a lot of access, but you didn't really know. And by the way, I hear that a lot on the show, whether somebody grew up middle class or, or poor or whatever it might be, they always kind of state, you know, I really didn't know what I didn't have. So I had a good right. upbringing. So that's, that's kind of cool that there's a common thread there. And, and you really learned that anything you wanted, you had to work for it starting at you know, 12 years old. So did you, is it weird like, to have this multi-million dollar business now thinking back to where you came from and what you had to do to get there? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't... You probably find this too with a lot of your friends who have large businesses. I find the majority of my friends who are in the position who I'm in, who that I'm in and who I've met through masterminds and other things, most of us kind of started out the same way. So, um, you know, I, I guess I don't really think about it that much. It just is what it is. I'm grateful I went from not having a lot of extras to where I'm at now instead of going the opposite way, like growing up really wealthy and then having nothing now. I think it's always better to to go the other way. But I think you know when I reflect on even my habits now, and I have talked about this with a lot of friends, I don't value luxury goods and spend tons of money on things. I do value nice things that are quality. So I have like one nice handbag, um, like coach handbag, right? That was like 300 bucks. And but I I've been using that handbag for like five years. I don't have like fifteen thousand dollar handbags, right? It's just I don't value that. So I think, you know, it definitely puts in your head what you value. Um, I remember actually, I 
was going to buy a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes. I'm sure you know what these are, right? Oh, yeah. Yep, red right bottom. Yeah. And they're and which is great. And they're beautiful. And they look whenever I see them on other women, I was like, wow, Christian Louboutin shoes are like the height of you've made it, right? Like Kylie Jenner's on the cover of Money Magazine in her Christian Louboutin shoes. <laughs> so there was this pair, this like pair of black heels. This is like even five years ago. And I'm already sure I'm going to buy the shoes. They're like $900 or something. So I will go into Neiman Marcus and I asked to try the shoes on. So he brings them out and I, you know, I'm so excited. And I put the shoes on and I stand up and I look in the mirror and I was like, huh. Didn't love them. It, it, it was like the biggest anticlimactic letdown. I thought for some reason, once I put these shoes on and saw myself in the mirror, you know, it, it would be a different experience. And I just stood there looking at them like, these look exactly like my Cole Hans that I've had for five years. Like, I can't, I mean, obviously not. And I value the artistry of design that way. So I'm not trying to take away at all from the artistry and the design of Christian Louboutin shoes, but I just didn't feel any different in them. And so I just kind of paused. And so the guy was, you know, he was like, are you ready to check out? And I was like, actually, I'm going to think about it a little bit. And I took them off. And he, of course, was offended and mad that I wasn't going to buy the shoes. <laughs> and I left. And I just remember thinking like, wow, that did nothing for me. Wow. That's all. awesome. Do you have any guilty anything that you spend money on? Or do you just keep saving, saving, saving? No, I do definitely spend money on things. I spend money, what I've kind of realized is more on experiences. So I would rather, you know, spend that money on a taking my mom on a trip or going on a trip with friends and staying in a nice hotel and going out to dinner and, you know, a flight to Paris or... So I definitely do spend. I'm not like... I don't consider myself frugal by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just more... I think I'm just really clear on what I value. I think that's a superpower in itself though. Too many people value what other people value just for the sake that other mm -hmm. people value it, right? And so they yes. waste money, they waste energy, they waste time. And, and you have really good clarity on here's what I buy into, here's what I don't buy into, and and this is for me. And that's just I feel like you can live a happier life and, and a more successfully uh a financial life when you you have clarity around that. Yeah, for sure. So you and I actually share a similar story. And I I'm not sure you know this or not, but you and I both rode the fast track in corporate America and we had like this super unhealthy, not really loving it, but kind of stuck in it anyways experience. So tell us about your transition from corporate America to, you know, here you are today, like famous blogger, author, coach, TV show host, all the things. Yeah. I mean, I left corporate America almost 10 years ago. So it feels like another lifetime ago. <laughs> but um, so out of college, I interviewed at Ernst & Young as a big four accounting firm. It's the second largest professional services firm in the world. I think still today, probably. Yeah, huge. And my degree is in mathematics with an emphasis in theory and Spanish. And I had a business minor and I was on going to be on the PhD track. And I kind of realized after I graduated from... I went to Gonzaga University in Spokane with some friends. All of my friends were getting jobs. And I'm a, a social person. I'm, I'm introverted, but I'm social. I just had this flash of you know going into a master's and then PhD program and realizing that I would be like 28. My parents would still be paying my car insurance. <laughs> all of my friends would be well into their careers. So I moved to Denver with some friends and interviewed at Ernst & Young. And it was right at the height, I don't know if you remember this, when Enron kind of went down totally. with Arthur Anderson. Totally. Yeah. Um, there was a new bill passed, Sarbanes-Oxley. So all of a sudden, for public, for public companies, all of this new regulation was passed. And the public accounting firms needed 
a lot of new people. They had a lot of money. And I started, it was, I've always considered, you know, the talent and the intelligence needs to be there, but it's also right time, right place. It's like the confluence of those two things. And it was like, I graduated in the right year. I had the right skill set. I was hired on at Ernst & Young. And I really actually... I liked the people that I worked with. I didn't mind the work because I didn't know anything different. I was right out of college. So of course, I didn't know anything different. And about five years in, I just had also... Again, it was like another flash of these corporate golden handcuffs of... I was being paid really well. And I did have flexibility. But still, I mean, to continue to advance, it's 80-hour weeks. It's eating whatever chain food they ordered into the audit room for dinner. and it was just you know working really hard for someone else and i just realized i was like yeah that's not what i want how were you feeling physically when you were there not great and the thing is is i was so young <laughs> you know what i mean i look back I at pictures of me 25. when i'm in my mid 20s and i look older than i am now i look like garbage oh for sure i i wrote this i can't remember if this is um in the introduction of my book if this made it in or if this was on my website but i felt like 55 when I was 25. And there is there's nothing wrong with being 55, but there is if you're 25, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you don't want to feel that way. Um, you know, I was eating horribly, staying out like there's so many like parties and nice dinners and lots of alcohol, not exercising consistently. And you can do that for a little while when you're in your mid-20s, right? But you can kind of ride that out and like get away with mm-hmm. it. Um now, if I go out, if I have like pasta and wine, I look 10 years older the next day from the inflammation. You know what I mean? But yeah, wasn't feeling great and just really had that kind of... I, I'm i an ENFJ in Myers-Briggs. I go off of how I feel. And I just had this feeling, like this full body, every self feeling. Like I... Even though like my friends thought I was crazy when I left my corporate job because I was I was advancing quickly, I was being paid really well. It's kind of like the job that everybody wants, not everybody wanted, but it was a highly sought after job. But I just had this full body feeling. I was like, I have to, if I'm gonna do something, it's got like I need to do it now. And that's how you ended up here. Like, what was that transition? Like, was it scary? Was it confident? Was it burning the bridges? How'd you Yeah, start? so I was actually offered um, a freelance position for um, two years with a woman um, who had a health and wellness business. So I had some security when I left and I didn't know, you know, right when I left was my blog was a hobby blog. I was just blogging healthy recipes. I hadn't even gone to integrative nutrition yet to become a health coach. So, you know, it, it all, I just kept doing the next thing that felt right, but I by no means had any kind of vision or plan of what it was going to look like. You know what I love about what you teach today is it's sustainable realistic, like healthy approach to body and business. It's everything that I needed and sounds like you needed back when we we're doing the grind in corporate America. So everything that everybody needs now, now that the popular thing is like hustles and grind on your entrepreneurship and all that stuff. So do you ever fall back into old habits or fears, even though this is what you teach now? At this point, it's different because I left corporate America so long ago. I think what I fall back into now, more from a health perspective is... It's so been pounded in, especially to women's heads, this idea of like restriction and deprivation in what we eat and that we have to slog away in workouts and that we have to really restrict everything that we do. I definitely fall into that and I really have to catch myself because I know from, I mean, all of the research that's out there and from what I've seen in my own practice and and programs is that we don't have to highly restrict ourselves to be healthier. In fact, when we highly restrict ourselves, we slip into eating disorder territory and that's 
affects our mental health, which affects our physical health. And it's this vicious cycle of becoming more unhealthy. So I just really have to catch myself kind of in more in those ways. When it comes to, I think I've gotten to a point in my business where even if something went away, I know that I know how to make money now, right? Yeah. So once you've been in business and you had some success, if I had to start over, I would build an email list. And I know that I would be able to monetize it because I've been paying attention the last 10 years and I've invested in myself. And I've taken every year I commit, I have to take a new online program every year from someone I respect to learn more, not necessarily to even implement it right away, but just to learn what's happening, staying on top of it. I know that I could take my skill set right now and I could make money. Okay, let's talk about... I love that you brought up if I had to start over. You said first thing you do would be build an email list. Now, it takes money to build an email list and it takes assets. How would you do it if you're starting from ground zero? Well, the only thing I know how to do is start a blog and start giving people so much good free content that they can't help but sign up for my newsletter. And that's what I've done. That's why I have over 90,000, almost 100,000 people on my email list. Because I send out free recipes probably 30 to 40 weeks a year. And people love them. You know, And they're recipes that I've tested thoroughly so they actually work and they taste delicious. You know, something this is like my side rant. So much, so many recipes and so many beautiful food photos on the internet. I hate saying this and I, I I'm not going to call out anybody specifically, but aren't good once you make it. It's like true. did they test it's really it? true. It's easy to make a beautiful food photo. It's not easy to make something taste amazing, be high in nutrition and be easy to make, right? So I think you have to have a quality. That's my skill. So whatever somebody's skill is, right? Somebody else's skill might be um, teaching Instagram, right? Like teaching something. That's a skill that I have. I would start a blog, and you can start a blog for less than a hundred bucks these days, right? Yep. So you do have to have a little bit of money, but you don't have to, you know, take out a loan. I would get a Squarespace template or a WordPress template. I would start blogging my skill like crazy, building my email list. And then I would create a program around that and sell it. Such good advice that literally anybody could do as long as it's quality. I feel like people make too many excuses right now. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have this. I don't have that. What you just gave was a recipe, no pun intended, that anybody could do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And everyone... Here's the thing, Chris. Everyone has a skill. I know everyone has a skill. Sometimes you know, it might take you a little bit of time to find it, but we're all good at something. Yeah, I totally agree. Like we've all been given these natural inclinations, these superpowers, these things that we do better than everybody else. And the problem is we take it for granted, so we don't think it's marketable. But everyone else is wishing we would reverse engineer and tell people how we think, how we do it, because that's the gold right there. And that's what you know we're meant to share. Okay, I love that we're going down this avenue of marketing and building a business because like I opened with, you're just so dang good at it. And Every matter of fact, everybody needs to go look at your site. Go to elizabethrider.com and learn from her marketing, right down to the semantics and the um, the sales copy and everything. So I feel like we live in a time where everyone is launching something attached to an expert brand or an influencer brand. You know, it's gotten pretty noisy out there, whether it's a book, an e-course, an event, you name it. Yeah. So how what are your tips for standing out right now from a marketing standpoint in such a noisy crowded space? Oh, that's such a good question because I I have to ask myself that question constantly and I'm sure you do too. One thing I do for me this is a delicate balance of following people in my industry but also keeping my blinders on and my head down because when you if you're if you're so engrossed in what other people in your industry are doing, it's difficult to create unique content. 
if you see what everybody else is doing. So I actually, you know, there's like Lori is such a great example, right? Lori has an incredible health and wellness brand and I respect her so much. I intentionally, and, and Chris Carr is another great example, right? I intentionally don't subscribe to everything they do and follow them. Although I do go to their websites and I like to keep tabs and like see them and like cheer them on. But if I am engrossed in what other people in my industry are doing, it completely takes away my creativity in what I'm supposed to be doing. So I would say, you know, double down on your skill sets and don't let the noise of your industry in your head is such a big part of it. Is there any specific marketing that's really working for you right now? There's a free starter kit on my website and anybody can have a free starter kit, right? Starter kit and whatever you do, it does so well. Some kind of free starter kit that gets people started with what you teach. Like what? Give us an example. So my free starter kit has... It's five healthy habits you can start right away that don't have anything to do with deprivation. So hot water with lemon in the morning, adding psyllium husk to your smoothies. It's all about adding things in, not taking things out. And then... And that's just a link to a PDF. Under that, there's a link to 30 healthy recipes every woman should know. And then I just forgot the other link that's in there. (laughs) But my starter kit is essentially three links to three different PDFs that that gets people started with what I teach. So good. See, this is what I'm talking about. Every single idea you share is an actionable, realistic, amazing idea. You don't share ideas like, well, I'd build this funnel with these 17 touch points and this and that. But no, everything you share is like real life, actionable stuff that anybody can do. So how's the marketing of the book going? The marketing of the book is going, I think, really well. But again, it's one of those, like you said, right now, you know, I made the mistake of Googling um, best book launch plan (laughs) (laughs) and went down the rabbit hole of uh, everything that's out there. And look, it's something... this This is more of kind of like a high level mindset thing. Um, I think it's from Abraham Hicks. Make a decision and just go with it. There are no wrong decisions. I think what happens is there's this fear that, oh, what if I, there's this one step that I miss and it ruins everything, right? Mm -hmm. What if there's one thing I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not doing it and I'm ruining everything? That actually has to be a mindset shift. That's not true. It's just pick the, we all have limited time and resources. Even when you have a budget, like I have a budget for marketing, but it's not an endless budget, right? It's going to get tapped out eventually. And and resources of myself and my team and who I can tap into. So there's not one right launch plan. It's what's the best plan for this book with the time and resources I have. I did invest in a book trailer that's coming out next week that's super fun and really different. That's cool. I can't wait to see that. I'm wearing a costume for half of it, something I've Uh -uh. never done before. So it's it's really kind of fun and cheeky. Um, So we're doing that. We're doing, I'm hosting a two hour workshop to customize your health habit action plan. It's normally minimum for group coaching with me is $497. Sometimes I do it for $197. So this workshop is minimum value is $197. It's free for everyone who pre orders the book, and that is doing really, really well. How do they get uh, that? How do they get that? Go to elizabethrider.com and select, just click on book, or you can go straight to healthhabitbook.com. Tell us about the health habit book. What? Who's it for? Who should be checking it out? And like, why is it off to such a good start? So the health habit is... Well, what Hay House reached out to me and asked me to write was a healthy lifestyle book for women. And I was like, yes, great. And then I thought about it and I was like, wow, that's general. Yeah, super. (laughs) Yeah, super general. And what the health habit is and turned into... So... And the reason Hay House reached out to me, I've put over 10,000 women through online health programs in the last um, handful of years. 
And I have a feedback form at the end of every program. And so anybody who's building a business and online programs, what I can tell you is it is critical, almost as critical as your as launching a program. Have a feedback form at the end of a program because your customers will tell you what they did and did not get out of it and what they still need. It's absolutely critical. And make sure there's like a free download on the other side of that feedback form. I'm not above bribing people to fill out the <laughs> feedback form. So for me, there's always like for my health programs, there's another free recipe guide on the other side of the feedback form. You fill out that that feedback form for me. It only takes five minutes. Keep the question short. Uh, and then you get another free recipe guide. So that's a tip for everyone. Give some give somebody something free to download, not more education because they've already just gone through your course. You don't want to give them... They're probably fatigued with all of the education. Yeah. Give them something downloadable they can use right away, like a recipe guide if you're in health or swipe copy if you're in business, something like that. So I have so... I have all these feedback forms, Chris. And what I started to realize as I was pouring over these feedback forms is that women... And you know, we're in these days, right? We know how to be healthy. It's just that why aren't we doing it? Right? Mm. Why does it feel so hard? And I'm sure it is for men too. I just attract women into my programs. I 95% of my customers are women. So that's where my area of expertise lies. So I'm not trying to exclude men. It's just what I know. You know, the feedback I was getting was like, obviously, people know that blueberries are healthier than Twix, right? (laughs) That's not revolutionary. Wait, Twigs or Twix? Twix. I'm oh, sorry, okay. Snickers, Reese's uh, <laughs> Pieces, whatever, uh, gummy bears. Um, you know, a real strawberry is better for you than a strawberry gummy bear. Um, we know these things. We don't, you know, so I think people need some help with logistics. That's why there's two chapters on food in the book. But it's more, why aren't we doing it? And, and what I started to learn was that it's because it's not just about changing what you eat, it's about changing your mindset and changing how you set up your entire life to make you want to eat healthier. And on a side note from that too, finding delicious food, you should enjoy your food. Nobody, you should enjoy your food and you should enjoy your exercise. Healthy food and exercise are not punishments. Mm. And just really kind of opening up people's eyes to there's not one way for everyone. So the book is really how do you figure it out for you? It's really customizable. This is why this book is so important because you said you work with mostly women, but I, as a guy, struggle with this too. I know, especially being married to Lori, I know everything. That I'm supposed to do, except I will sit there making a conscious choice to, you know, eat the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, while saying in my head, I know I'm going to regret this or resent this either in a few hours or tomorrow. Why do mm. we do that? Mm. Well, you know what's interesting to me. I w- I want to get. I work towards getting my clients to like. Sure, if you're gonna, you're you know, out with friends and you're like, I'm going to order the pizza and the beer or whatever it is, the burger. I'm just I'm going to order this. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to choose to eat this right now. And I'm going to choose that the next thing I eat is that, you know, uh, blueberry smoothie, or the next thing I eat is going to be those scrambled eggs with spinach. So the the guilt that we create around food oftentimes is worse for us than the food that we don't think we should be eating. It's right. So true. If you have a health, if you have a healthy body, one or two meals off a week are isn't going to affect your health. It's at all. so true. It's so true. It's see, I know all these things. I just I go down that rabbit hole of you know not acknowledging them. It's so and listen, this is what makes this book so important for men or women, quite honestly, is you're you're normalizing these feelings that we have and then you're giving us solutions to it. And so I know you market towards women, but don't be afraid to throw the guy in there once in a while. 
Oh yeah, thanks. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> you know, let's do something really fun. I do this every once in a while on my show. Let's give away 10 copies. I will buy them and send them out. Uh, my team will from here to the first 10 people that listen to this and tag both you and I in what their biggest takeaway was so far. So they have to tag both of us. It's in both our DMs. First 10 people to do that when this episode comes out. I will send you a uh, one of the copies of The Health Habit personally. Oh, Chris, I love Let's that idea. And I will sign them and we'll send them out. Okay, even better. That's awesome. So I know that you and I share an ethos for like generosity and philanthropy. We even like share the same causes that we both yeah. contribute to. Why? What causes are important to you these days and, and why? Yeah, there were three that came to mind. Um, first, Charity Water, you know, especially yes. for Did me. Did you read the book? Health. I have not read the oh, book yet. You're going to love it. Oh, yes. I'm going to order it right when we hang up. You're going to love it. All right, sorry, keep going. Oh, no, that's great. I, I need to read the book. Um, Charity Water, as a health coach, I talk a lot about the importance importance of drinking filtered water because if you don't filter your water, your liver has to. So just a little bit better for your health to drink filtered water. But that also makes me think about all the people in the world. It's such a privilege for us where we live to even have access to filtered water. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are people all over the world who don't even have access to water. So charity water, I I think I actually sat in a meeting with Scott um, a few months ago, the founder of Charity Water, and listened to his story. And if there is any room in anyone's life to give, Charity Water is such a phenomenal organization. I cannot even... It's just difficult. Like I have goosebumps right now. It's difficult to express the incredible work that they're doing. So Charity Water, Pencils of Promise, of course. I I mean, educating kids is like our future. Mm -hmm. So between Charity Water and Pencils of Promise, the third one would be Together Rising. I think what... Uh, Glennon Doyle is doing is just so phenomenal. So there are so many, Chris, there's so many good people in the world. You know, it's interesting because two out of the three of those are really aimed at third third world issues. And a lot of people will say things like, oh, there's enough things for me to worry about back home here. What what, Mm. what do you say to people that kind of have that perspective? You know, I think it's... I've had those thoughts as well. So I'll validate that to start with. Absolutely. I also believe in my heart that we live in a borderless world and there's no cap on what we can do and give, whether it's time, energy, money, a prayer, whatever it is. So not everyone has to give to those organizations. Um, I absolutely agree. We should always be looking in our own backyard. For me, the way I, what I do in my own life is Every month, and I think a lot of women do this, especially with the and men too, with the um, life changing magic of tidying up came out with the Konmari method. <laughs> Every month, when I, I have a box and I just like, you know, if I, you know, have clothes or whatever it is, and I take it to the local women's shelter, I think one of the very first things people can do if they want to look in their own backyard is instead of taking things just, I know the Goodwill drop off is really convenient. But the shelter is where your goods will do so much good, Ooh. men and women shelters. So if you can get anything in your house you're not using, if you have a warm coat that you haven't worn in a year, get it to a shelter. It will be used. That is such um, good advice. Yeah, just just get get, you know, there are things you can do, whether it's donating money, donating time, sending energy or prayer, whatever it is, right? I mean, not there's not one person who has all the answers to every problem in the world. And I think when we start to think about all of the problems in the world, it is so overwhelming because it does seem like there's so much. We can each give what we are able to at this moment in time from any avenue. And if everyone does that, we're all lifted up. Yeah, totally. Do you have a way that you figure out how much you're going to give? Or do you have a rule of thumb or anything? Because as you make more and more and more and more money, 
there becomes more and more and more people, you know, asking for money on behalf of these really good causes, obviously. So how do you kind of manage that? Yeah, you know, I went on a, a retreat, a success retreat with Barbara Stanny, um, who's like a, money, a women's money expert. Oh gosh, that was like four or five years ago now. And I really liked what she taught me. She taught me the idea of focused giving, where you do, you pick two or three um, charities or avenues to give. And that's where you focus your time and effort. Because again, you know, all of a sudden it's like the animals, right? The animals need help. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's there's so many different uh, things that you could potentially be giving to, but if you have focused giving, and and you, it's just a better way for me to think about that. So I focus on those charities. I have auto deductions or auto gives on all of those. You know, and it, it's so interesting. Each project is different with the percentage that you can give because there's just different costs and different things that go into every project. So I just I I have that on my website. Um, we have a, a section for charity and giving, and I just focus on those charities. Oh, I love that. Do you have a favorite? But, uh, mo- do you have a favorite moment that stands out, like a, a time that you gave or something you gave to? You know, honestly, it was just last month. The thing that just first came to my mind um, when I took a ton of clothes to the women's shelter, and the the woman's face who um, was taking the donations lit up, and she looked at me so sincerely, and she was like, "These clothes are going to help our women so much. They need these." And I could just see that look in her face, and I just thought to myself, "I'm like, wow, these clothes have been sitting in my closet for like two months." meaning to get that box out. And that made me really want to jump into action. I called actually my sisters, my friends, and I was like, you guys, get your stuff to the shelters. Get Who who else? We all have driven around with a box in the hatch of our car for two months, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all done it. You know, we have, like you and I mentioned at the beginning of this, we live in a privileged life. And even if it might seem small to you, it's not small to somebody else. If you have anything in your home that is in good condition that you don't have use for anymore, get it to a shelter. Mm, I love that. So before I ask you a question to start to wrap this thing up, where can we find your book and where can we follow you? Absolutely. So elizabethrider.com and it's R-I-D-E-R. Everybody wants to use a Y or you can go to healthhabitbook.com. It goes to the same place. You can download all the free resources for the book and you can follow me on Instagram at Elizabeth underscore writer or pretty much on any social media platform at Elizabeth Writer. Don't forget the first 10 of you that listen to this and tag both of us on Instagram uh, of what you learned or what your takeaway was, we are giving you a book courtesy of of us. So um, don't forget to DM us with what you learned for both of us. Okay. Uh, last question is this. And this is a good one for you because people don't realize till they actually meet you and spend some time with you. You've got an edge to you. You've got a little bit of badass to you. You're very unapologetic about who you are, what your thoughts are, how you show up. And that's a good thing. So why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Oh gosh, Chris, I think you are the only one who lives your life. And first, if anybody has ever wanted to apologize for their success, read The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. If you haven't read that book, make it a priority ASAP. I I don't believe anybody is born by accident. I think we're all here for a reason and we're here to use our gifts to make the world a better place. And if something, if you desire something, it's because it's in you. And there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't go after it. Oh, I love that. I couldn't agree more. Listen, Elizabeth, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, for writing this book, for sharing your marketing ideas with us. Like People could listen to this episode and get their business off the ground. They could listen to this episode and move their business to the next level just because of the 
simple, actionable advice that you give. And that's why I was excited to have you on. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and behalf of all the other listeners. Chris, thank you. I simply adore you. I'm so glad that we met and that we're friends and thanks to your listeners and thanks for having me. Seriously, like our pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.